0: the truth news network carly simon in the 70s said these are the good old days isn't it scary how true that has become because well except for the hair and the clothes you know what doesn't go out of style the truth and we're tnn we deal exclusively in the truth and your master of the zeitgeist is Dan Newman.
1: I don't know if I agree with that. These are the good old days. I'm not so sure that's the case anymore. I imagine many of you feel the exact same way. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to our midweek show. It's Wednesday. We're headed towards Thanksgiving week, and I can't wait. I love this holiday season. Technically, I guess it doesn't begin until Thanksgiving. But I started celebrating back in, oh, I don't know, October, Halloween. It's holiday season, something I look forward to every year. Used to not be that way. That was when, during Christmas vacation, my family exploded back in 1969. Many of you weren't even around then. Nevertheless, back then, bad things happened to good people, and they still do. And it's still happening across and around our globe. So many things to get together with you on today to discuss. We've got good news, we've got ho-hum news, and we have bad news. But you know what? It all works together. And at the end of the day, we're going to be okay. We really are. But what we've got to do between now and the end of the day is we've got to make the best of today for anything and everything we do. And that means looking for, searching for, listening, and watching for things that tell us factually some things are good and some things are bad. And we're going to make it through all of that. At the end of the day, we're still going to be here, most of us anyway. And we're going to be together for the next couple of hours. I kind of like that. I hope you do too. Hey, listen. We're going to talk specifically, and you're going to hear from Congressman Mike Johnson about this Israeli rally yesterday. normal and you lay there you want to doze off you don't really doze off you don't go to sleep but you're kind of halfway between reality and la la land you know what i'm talking about and then you can't really ever get to sleep a sound sleep of late i'm finding myself doing that every night so i've tried everything i've tried all the the recipes about drink this right before you go to bed or do this, stay up as late as you can before you go to bed so you'll be too tired to stay awake. I've tried them all, not being very successful right now, and I think I figured out why. I got way too much on my plate at the same time. It's my mind. I go around in circles like that Billy Preston song, Will It Go round in Circles? I just keep going all the way around everything, thinking it through, and then come back around a full circle and start over and maybe think a little differently that time around about the same items. I don't want to ever diminish the importance of things in our lives, circumstances, things that happen, people in our lives. I don't ever want to get be guilty of, of doing that. But sometimes you just got to back away And try to just look at the surface for a little bit of everything. Instead of looking at something and then spending hours diving down deep, way, way, way under the surface. And coming up with the actual reasons for all of these things happening. And knowing absolutely those are the things that really did happen. Sometimes we just got to back away and say, you know what? It's all going to be okay at the end of the day. I'm going to put my head down on my pillow tonight, tomorrow morning when I wake up. Yeah, there may be some things that are left over from the previous day, but I'm going to be okay. Last night, I had one of those up and down and up and down nights. At 2 o'clock this morning, I was sitting in my chair Flipping channels on the television, just not watching anything, not wanting to watch anything, just thinking, just thinking. I do a 6 a.m. prayer meeting, 6 a.m. Central Time, every Monday through Friday at our church that streams live on Facebook, and um, Bruce, I won't give you his last name, but Bruce does it with me. He's uh, a member of the pastoral staff at our church ex-military officer, really good guy. Bruce has a different perspective than I do for one reason and one reason only. He's African-American. And sometimes Bruce and I, not during the prayer meeting, but afterwards or when we're drinking coffee, sometimes we'll compare notes. He's from the South. He's actually from Florida. So he grew up, he's a couple of years older than I am a whole different set of circumstances. And one would think Louisiana to Northwest Florida, that's not too big a reach. That's still very much in the deep south of the United States. So you would think that this old white guy and that old African-American guy, we'd have a lot in our rearview mirrors that were similar, at least, to talk about. Not so. Not so. And I hearkened back last night. I was sitting thinking about this very thing, thinking about Bruce, thinking about his past in the military. He's an officer, and he's still, he's in the reserves, but he's very active in being involved in military things. He is a shrink in real life, too. Now, that's a combination. That's a story for another day. But even when we have so many things in common, Bruce and me, We have just as many, if not more, things that we don't have in common. And what am I getting at? Look, you've got a whole different set of circumstances, almost totally different from mine, and vice versa. So what does that mean? It means we need to understand that about people who we integrate with every day. We don't have any clue what they're going through. If I hadn't told you just minutes ago That I didn't sleep at all last night. That sounds like a line of a song, doesn't it? Well, it actually is. I didn't sleep at all last night. Even though I mentioned that, there's a whole lot of other things that go along with it that you can't relate to. Maybe you could if you knew all of those details, but you don't. We can't tell everybody about everything. We would never get anything done. And we would pretty much always end up back at the circle where we started in a position where we don't know what's going to happen or what to do about it, if and when it happens. I think more of us today are living that circle than we ever thought possibly could be living there. And that whole thing is built on circumstances that come our way that we're confronted with Things that we know we need to be part of. Other things we didn't have an idea five minutes ago and bang, it's right in front of us and we've got to deal with it. It seems to me there's more of those kind of things than the ones that are just normal, everyday routines that we just live through and pretty much take for granted we got to do it, so we just go do it, never think about it again. There are too many of the other types of things that are getting in our lives and are stealing our calm and our peace. Just think for a minute. Just back to October 7th. What do you think those Jewish people felt when they were awakened in the wee hours of the morning by gunfire and Hamas coming into Israel, breaking down doors, abducting people, killing people, dragging them off and putting them in caves in Gaza? Minutes before that, they were just sleeping peacefully, and bam, their lives changed forever. Now, what am I saying about that? I'm telling you this. You cannot be whole in your mind, in your heart, in your thinking if you fret 24-7 about what might happen. Sometimes, Bad things happen to good people. Sometimes bad things happen to bad people, and sometimes good things happen to bad people. Those all are true, can be true sometimes, or all of the time. But you know what matters most? How we process what we see, what we think, what we know, the choices that we make the people we choose to make part of our lives and to share our lives together. If we can get our arms around that, what I just told you, and let the other things be out there, we comprehend them. We can't know everything about everything. You know, that. trying to do that will drive you crazy. We're doing good to keep ourselves intact and our kids and our spouses let alone people down the street or people in D.C. or people in the Middle East. We can't do all of that. We just need to understand we must do our best with the elements, with the resources, with the understanding that we have. Do the best that we can do walking through those circumstances with those we love today. Don't worry about tomorrow. It'll get here. 12.01, midnight every day it comes, whether you want it to or not. And we're going to get to that one. Guess what? When we get there at 12.01 and a half tomorrow morning, we'll start all over again and we'll deal with it. As bad as some of us think our lives are in, Right now, as bad as we think they are, the circumstances we're in, they could be worse. There's always somebody out there. Their circumstances, yeah, there are a lot of people that are better than ours. Their circumstances are better. Their financial, their economical, uh, their relational, their job, all those, their health. There are people out there that that's all better for them than it is for us. But the opposite of that is true, too. There are people that look at you and dream of having your life circumstances to be theirs. So how do you cope with all of this? Is there a simple little equation for pushing through all this successfully? Yeah. And it's not as difficult as you think. Just for a second, let's assume. I assume you believe there is a God. I assume that you have accepted the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he was sent to Earth, he lived 33 years preaching, teaching people about God. The last three and a half years, the first 30 years he was learning that he was crucified, was risen from a grave, and sits next to his father in heaven. Those are some pretty solid places to build the foundation on which you can deal with all the circumstances that you face. Walking through all this mess by yourself is insane. Nobody can do it successfully and be 100% on the other side of it. It can't be done. We can't understand everything. We can't know everything But I have a personal relationship with God. I do. And the reason I'm bringing this up today is not about my not being able to sleep very good. It's about what happened yesterday and the day before and the day before that, all the way back to October the 7th, that Saturday morning. Those people in the Middle East and many from other parts of the world, their lives are over or they're in such disarray and horrible situations now, those people will never be the same again. But me and millions of other people watched yesterday as 290,000 men and women flooded the nation's capital for one reason, the march for Israel. And they demanded... The return of hostages captured by Hamas. That was a very unifying thing to see. And it was not, it was not a march that was angry. There were no fights. There were no horrible things that happened. Washington, D.C., of course, with everything that's happened there the last few years, they were prepared for something bad to happen. It didn't happen. Why didn't it happen? It wasn't a Hamas or a so-called pro-Palestinian demonstration. It were like-minded people getting together, encouraging each other, supporting each other. Why can't we live there 24-7? You know why? We don't choose to do so. So, instead of waking up off and on all night long and laying there and obsessing about this or that or worried and fretting about this or that instead of doing that, here's what I want you to try tonight. If you're anything like me, I think things all the time. I puzzle things. I have a very analytical mind. I am intensely ADD, Attention Deficit Disorder. I'm one of those kind of people like our son. He's a mirror image of me in that regard. When he was little, if you told Caleb, hey, Caleb, go clean up your room, he'd come apart at the seams, scream, holler, cry, I can't do it, I can't do it. Because he couldn't put so many things in the box for him to think about at the same time. But if you told Caleb, go to your room and put all the shoes and straighten them up in your closet," He'd go in there and do it and come right back, no issue. And then tell him, go back in there and pick your toys up and put them in the toys box. He'd go do it. Go straighten up the sheets on your bed. He'd go do it. There's some real truth in living that kind of a life. Just doing it one thing at a time not trying to get our arms and minds wrapped around everything at the same time before we start. Try that tonight. Instead of laying in bed, trying to go to sleep and thinking through the litany of things you've got to deal with the next day. Instead of doing that, try this tonight. Drink some warm cocoa. Lay down in your bed. Talk to your spouse for a while and then purposely do this close your mind refuse to think or obsess about anything and concentrate on the good things and leave it right there let's 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 try that together maybe just maybe that'll be a little magic cure one thing one day at a time so let's go back up to washington dc according to estimates from the Jewish Federations of North America and the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. 290,000 people attended, attended that march in person. quarter of a million more watched online. Some of those at the rally traveled all the way from Israel to spread the awareness about what happened in October and has been happening since. The deadly Hamas terrorist attack that took place and started this whole thing. The Daily Signal spoke with Anat Shoshani, a young woman who said that Hamas brutally killed her grandfather, kidnapped her grandmother. Shoshani, who says she was in Tel Aviv at the time the terrorist attack occurred, she emphasized the importance for all of us of storming heaven with prayers for the safe return of her grandmother and all the other hostages. I don't get to be sad, she said. I don't get to cry. I need to fight. A young man who spoke with the Daily Signal said he's a survivor of the Nova Music Festival attack, at which Hamas terrorists used hang gliders. They went inside the festival and slaughtered several hundred people that were just there enjoying music. You can't imagine what actually happened there, this guy said. Only God helped me. Many young people attended the march for Israel yesterday. They were observed, many groups of students and families. One young man attending with his high school said there were 500 students from his school alone attending the march. Though pro-Palestinian protesters appeared to have marked up the portable restrooms with graffiti saying Gaza and Free Palestine, very few anti-Israel demonstrators even showed up. One anti-Israel protester could be heard shouting how Hitler at apparently Jewish attendees. His gesture caused those around him to gasp in horror and to strongly condemn such language. Unlike most of the pro-Palestinian or anti-Israel gatherings in D.C., New York, other big cities around the country, most of the March for Israel attendees did not cover their faces. Anti-Israel demonstrators at campuses have said that they cover their faces fearing detection by federal agencies and authorities. Well, if you're doing nothing wrong, what does it doesn't matter if they uh, identify you? At one candlelight vigil for the martyrs that the Daily Signal attended at George Washington University, organizers encouraged reporters that day to hide their faces to avoid detection. If you feel like you gotta hide your face, that means probably you're doing something wrong you don't want people to know you're doing. We're going to keep hearing things even days after that, that rally yesterday. If it didn't do anything, I saw interview after interview, people were being kind to each other. Nobody was screaming at the reporters. Many of those reporters are not conservatives. They're Americans, most of them are. There were people from Israel there. As we said, a lot of people came from Israel to Washington, D.C. to be there, to support their Jewish brothers and sisters. While that was going on, there was something pretty atrocious happening in the Capitol building. No, no attacks, no January 6th stuff members of Congress attended a screening of the Israeli military's footage of the Hamas attacks on October 7th, and many of the elected officials were deeply moved, weeping, crying. The 46-minute film, 46 minutes of it, compiled by the Israeli military, it contains body cam, also television footage, as well as pictures from social media and even victims' phones showing the brutal murder of hundreds of Israeli civilians October 7th. Many elected officials were silent, some crying at the film's conclusion. Democrat Representative Marie Camp Perez of Washington left only minutes after it began in tears. She couldn't handle it. This morning I view the horrific footage of Hamas killing, torturing, kidnapping Israeli civilians. Haley Stevens, a Democrat from Michigan, wrote on X, formerly known as Twitter, I'm gutted. This is barbarism and an attack on all of humanity. We cannot let this ever happen again. We must never forget. The film which they got to see shows Hamas killing civilians in their cars, in their homes, and in bomb shelters. Many clips included in the film show the terrorists cheering over dead bodies, celebrating the attacks. One such Hamas operative called his parents, and this was videoed, called his parents, tells his father to open WhatsApp to see how many Jews I killed with my bare hands. Speaker Mike Johnson, he told reporters that the auditorium where the screening was held was so quiet you could have heard a pin drop. We had a large group of Republican and Democrat House members in the auditorium and you could have heard a pin drop except for the sighs and the cries in the room because a video would make anyone with the soul cry. The death toll in Israel It's reached over 1,400 since the first wave of these attacks that weekend. Israel has responded by sending troops into Gaza to wipe out Hamas. Make no mistake about it. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, when the media confronted him over and over and over, what are you going to do? Why are you going to do that? He just looked at them. Couldn't believe they were even asking it. He said, why would we let these people continue to go about their lives doing what they do. Because if we let them do that, this will happen over and over and over. We, talking about Israel, we will not stop until every member of Hamas is dead. Say what you will. I think you'll probably agree he's telling the truth. The military posted a picture Monday of the Israel Defense Forces in Gaza's parliament building, and Israel's defense minister, Yoav Gallant said that Hamas has lost control of Gaza. And in comes AOC, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She was reported to be in attendance at the screening. She repeatedly has called for a ceasefire between Hamas and Israel since the October attacks rep Mike Lawler of New York a Republican however argued he couldn't imagine how anybody could call for a ceasefire after watching that Lawler by the way went to Israel this past weekend I'm feeling like when I went to Birkenau Republican rep Darrell Issa said of California it's just war crimes it's unbelievable the senate's going to view the same video in their chamber tomorrow and we will we will tell you how it goes well there's more to it our friend frequenter on this show congressman mike johnson from just across town he was there and being that speaker of the house he stood in front of these almost 300,000 people and a quarter of a million of others that were watching, looking in. And I wanted you to hear Mike Johnson and what he had to say yesterday to all these Jewish people and others that were just there in support.
2: It is so good to be with you all. What an extraordinary crowd and it was organized in just a few days, amazing, amazing. There, There are few issues in Washington that could so easily bring together leaders of both parties in both chambers, but the survival of the state of Israel and her people unites us together and it unites all Americans, all Americans. Let me be very clear. The United States stands unequivocally with our neighbor, our friend, our ally Israel. They are they're neighbors in a global sense, that's right. Last week, a bipartisan group of members stood in solidarity on the steps of the House to mourn the loss lives in the October 7th attack and to grieve with the families of Israeli hostages that are still being held in Gaza. We heard heartbreaking and tragic accounts of their kidnappings. And of course, as you know, many of those families haven't received an update on their well-being since that day. As a parent myself, I can begin to comprehend their despair. All of us feel that way. This morning, we watched the horrific film that was produced by Hamas from their own cameras as they committed the assault. It's unspeakable. The auditorium was full of Republicans and Democrats in the House, and they wept as we watched the film together. Most couldn't sit through it. These Israeli hostages were kidnapped in their homes by barbaric Hamas terrorists for simply being Jewish and living in Israel. As Prime Minister Netanyahu says so well, this is a fight between good and evil, between light and darkness, between civilization and barbarism. Barbarism. The calls for a ceasefire are outrageous. We stand with you in that. Hamas terrorists waged the bloodiest assault on Jewish lives since the Holocaust, and there are hundreds of hostages, many of them Americans, still stuck inside Gaza. Israel will cease their counteroffensive when Hamas ceases to be a threat to the Jewish state. But Hamas's genocidal and anti-Semitic rhetoric isn't just confined to Gaza, as you know. The war in Israel has awakened an alarming amount of anti-Semitism towards Jewish people here in the United States and across the globe. From the halls of Congress to college campuses, this rise of anti-Semitism must be stopped. We've heard many echo the Hamas rallying cry of from the river to the sea, and I'm convinced that a lot of these college students that are engaging in these protests do not understand that is an explicit call for the extermination of Israel. it is happening daily in our country as you know and it is unacceptable for jewish americans to feel unsafe at home it is unacceptable for jewish businesses to face violence vandalism and threats it is unacceptable for universities to allow hamas apologists to assault and accost jewish students on campus it is unacceptable for any political leader in this nation to give credence to this dangerous rhetoric We can and we must do more to stand with our great ally and friend. And it is my hope that this gathering today serves as a reminder to the entire world, but also to those within our own borders, that the United States stands proudly with Israel and the Jewish people forever, forever. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of this. God bless you.
1: Louisianians can be proud of their congressman from the 4th Congressional District. He made no apology. So he was up there just telling it like it is. Truth matters. Facts matter. And I every time something like this happens, what's happened in Israel, when the deniers come out, the people that want to lie about, deflect, point fingers elsewhere when there's wrongdoing going on, I can't stand that. I hate it. Those people either think we're stupid, too stupid to understand what events really happened and why and who's perpetrating them, or they just don't care. Neither one of those is sufficient for me to feel it's okay. Well, everybody can say anything they want to. We have the First Amendment in the United States. You're right. You're right. You can say it. But don't try to demand everybody else think the same things that you think about the same things that they're thinking about. That doesn't have to happen. We can disagree with anything about anything. We don't have to agree. But what we need to be able to implement across the board is to stop Wanting anybody that has a differing opinion than ours. We got to stop wanting to kill them and get rid of them and exterminate them. That's what's civilian. We people, we're not government. We're citizens. We're civilians. That's what we're supposed to do. Sometimes we're not going to agree on certain things. We may have nothing in common. And we don't want to have anything to do with the other person. That's okay. It's okay to do it. But stop this charade called righteousness that gives somebody the unfettered right to destroy someone with a differing opinion. And that includes Hamas. It includes Hezbollah. It includes Iran, ISIS, all of the jihadist groups and organizations in states around the world just because your religion says convert the infidel or kill the infidel doesn't mean that's the right thing to do sometimes we've just got to accept that we are going to agree on this one thing We're going to disagree. We will never convince each other to adopt the other's philosophy. And in the United States of America, that's enshrined in the First Amendment of our Constitution. It was so important. Our forefathers, after the Constitution was written, they wanted to make sure. They came back behind it and said, we need to double down on what we put in these articles in the Constitution. So let's do uh today let's do 10 amendments and we'll call them we'll call them the bedrock of the protection spelled out by the leaders in the nation these rights specifically belong to and will perpetually be the property of we the people not the government and the first one of those the first amendment freedom of speech unfettered Freedom of speech for every citizen in the United States. Now, before I get away, before we move on from this, and this is going to be the last segment that we're going to do on this, unless something egregious happens live during the show. But I want you to hear from Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton. He took to the floor yesterday. After all this is happening, he watched it, he was there, and he comes back and he goes to the floor of the Senate, and he sends a message to former President Barack Obama. Listen.
3: Last month, Iranian-backed Hamas terrorists slaughtered over 30 Americans and 1,400 Israelis. These depraved savages raped women, murdered children, and executed entire families, burning some of them alive. The dead are still being identified, and families are still grieving. Unbelievable heartbreak. Yet over the weekend, former President Barack Obama discovered complexity and ambiguity where there is none in these attacks. He said that we, quote, have to admit nobody's hands are clean, that all of us are complicit to some degree, end quote. What Barack Obama said over the weekend might pass for profound at cocktail parties on Martha's Vineyard or on podcasts with sycophantic former staffers. But is also delusional and morally obtuse. Put simply, it's a confession of a guilty man attempting to implicate others. Because we're not all complicit with Hamas's massacre of Jews, but Barack Obama sure is. No American president did more to embolden and enrich Iran and its terrorist proxies than Barack Obama. Indeed, his entire Middle East policy was crafted to appease Iran. As president, he stayed quiet when Iranian protesters took to the streets in the Green Revolution. He sabotaged legislation in Congress, sanctioning Iran. He cut and ran from Iraq, knowing that Iran and its proxies would fill the power vacuum. He refused to enforce a self-drawn red line and stood by as Syria disintegrated into a geopolitical Chernobyl because Bashar al-Assad is an Iranian puppet. He consistently undermined Benjamin Netanyahu, Iran's chief nemesis in the region, and even refused to veto a United Nations Security Council resolution condemning Israel. And of course, he negotiated the disastrous Iran nuclear deal, handing the ayatollahs over $100 billion in sanctions relief. Barack Obama single-handedly saved the Iranian economy and harmed diplomatic relations with our allies in Saudi Arabia and Israel. When he left office, The Middle East was in flames, and Iran was on the march. Tragically, Barack Obama's coterie of Iran appeasers, apologists, and accomplices have returned to the White House. His understudy, Joe Biden, is now president. The man who helped to secretly negotiate the Iran nuclear deal, Jake Sullivan, is now National Security Advisor. And his Treasury Secretary, who served as a de facto investment banker for the Ayatollahs, is now ambassador to Israel. Barack Obama's legacy is alive and well in this administration, and it certainly shows. Within days of taking office, the Biden administration removed the Houthis, another Iranian proxy, from the list of terrorist organizations without any concessions. And how did the Houthis reward Joe Biden? By firing dozens of missiles and attack drones towards Israel just days after Hamas's rampage. In its first 100 days, the Biden administration announced that it would send hundreds of millions of dollars to Iran's friends in Gaza, Judea, and Samaria. They claimed that it would foster peace and stability in the region. How did that work out? The next month, Iranian-backed militias launched 4,000 rockets into Israel. Since taking office, Joe Biden has enriched the Ayatollahs with over $90 billion through his lax enforcement of oil sanctions. And his unfreezing of Iranian assets. Tehran has predictably used this Biden bonus to strengthen its military and arm its proxies. Just last year, Iran doubled the budget of the Revolutionary Guard Corps, the shock troops of its terror regime, and it more than tripled its support for Hamas's military brigades. The very same month that Biden agreed to unfreeze $6 billion In Iranian assets, the Revolutionary Guard Corps reportedly started to assist with the planning of the October 7th attacks that killed, I say again, over 30 Americans and more than 1,400 Israelis. This is the nature of the regime that Barack Obama coddled for years. It is the nature of the regime that has dispatched its proxies to attack American service members over 110 times since Joe Biden took office. Let me say that again, Iran's proxies have attacked American troops and positions in the Middle East over 110 times since Joe Biden took office. And what has Joe Biden and his gang of Obama acolytes, done in return? They fired a few missiles at empty proxy warehouses, merely validating Iran's proxy strategy. The Ayatollahs are laughing at Joe Biden just like they laughed at Barack Obama. Barack Obama is the last person who should pontificate on this issue. The only thing we should hear from him is an admission that he was wrong and an apology. Maybe he concluded in his upcoming fourth memoir due out later this year. My message to the former president is simple. Don't try to excuse your own failures by blaming the rest of us, the people complicit In the attack on Israel are the terrorists who committed it, the Iranian regime that funded it, and the Obama and Biden administrations that appeased them. The responsibility for the events of October 7th rests squarely on their shoulders and their shoulders alone.
1: Too much of what you just heard Tom Cotton, U.S. senator from Arkansas, say that has gone on, is going on in the Biden administration, far too much of that explains a lot of things. How in God's world can we in any way support terrorists and terrorism in any country for any reason on the planet? Did you know, you heard the dollars and cents he just told us about, that the Biden administration has done. Taking the Houthi rebels taking them off the terrorist watch list. These people are terrorists. They wake up breathing, thinking, planning, terrorism, and terrorist acts every day of their lives. And there's something else a little bit later, maybe at the top of this next hour. We're going to talk about what I think. Based upon things that I've watched, things that have been done, things that have been said, I think Joe Biden is in trouble with people he's obligated to. You know exactly where I'm going with this. I think he's obligated for whatever reason or reasons, and I'll speculate with you in a bit, but it's about money, 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 the love of money is the root of all evil. Well, we've got some business going on in D.C. today. A couple of things you may not know about. The FBI director for Chris Ray is back before Congress to testify today, as is Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Now, as they sit in front of this committee today, you can book it. There is some angry words that are going to be shared with Mr. Ray and Mr. Mayorkas. In fact, I looked to see right before we went live at what time that hearing's supposed to take place. I didn't have time to find out. I hope it's after the show, because I don't want to miss it. I'm going to get some popcorn and sit there and watch this and see how these two are able to save their own skins. Both of them need to be sent packing. Up next... Some of the hoo-ha that you need to know about, the details of that are happening right now this week in Washington D.C.
4: Thirty-five years after the original movie, Fox is bringing you back to where it all began.
2: Nobody puts baby in the corner. This is the real dirty dance. Yeah.
4: Eight celebrities compete to become the real baby and Johnny. I
2: forget my Johnny is. No, so.
4: Some will rise. Yes, yes. Some will fall. Oh. All will have the time of their life. The Real Dirty Dancing four-week event
5: starts Tuesday at 9 on Fox 5.
6: Ready, set. ABC Tonight, it's all about big cash. Here we go. And big crash. <laughs> on the new season of Celebrity Wheel of Fortune, one star will spin it. Give me some money. To win it all. A big winner of $1 million. Then, <laughs> host Leslie Jones is off to the races on Supermarket Sweep.
5: On your cart, get set,
6: And we're going to need a clean up on every aisle. You are on fire. It all starts tonight, 87 central on ABC, and stream on Hulu.
0: The following is an important time insensitive announcement from Staples. Now for an unlimited time only, Staples is drastically cutting their everyday prices on hundreds of products your business needs. That's right. The clock is not ticking. Walk, crawl, or lollygag to Staples, and you will not miss this opportunity. These are everyday price cuts. Take a four pack of AA Duracell batteries, was $479, now just $299. But act now or later because these staples' everyday price cuts will be around for a really, really long time. Price cuts like a two pack of Scotch Magic tape, previously $479, now just $299, and Scotch Packaging tape, now just $229 for today, tomorrow, and pretty much every day till the cows come home. But don't hurry, these everyday price cuts are indefinite. To repeat, these prices will last. So stop by your nearest staples whenever it's convenient and take advantage of these normal, continuing everyday price cuts. Thank you need more cowbell better yet how about the ring of truth TNN, the truth news network and dan newman
1: so we have a new house speaker our friend mike johnson speaker mike johnson that's interesting um if you know somebody before they become a lawmaker at any level You know some things that most other people don't, even people that may uh, know them but aren't around them very much. I can honestly say everything you see and hear about Mike Johnson publicly, he is that way to the bone. He's a mighty man of God. He is a great family man. He's a, a Christian, the epitome of who a Christian is just based on the things that he lives out every day. And he's a really good representative for the people in this district. I don't know if you know anything about the geographical makeup of Louisiana, but his district, the 4th District, it takes in northwest Louisiana, which is Caddo Parish that butts up against the uh, Texas-Louisiana border, east of that, Bossier Parish, east of that, uh, Bienville Parish, and then it goes south, splitting kind of the middle of the state, going almost all the way down to Lake Charles, Louisiana. So it's a, a very fragmented, sliced up district, congressional district. But it comes with the diversity among people that you don't normally see. They're probably culturally, and you know Louisiana's got tons of culture. I mean, people came from everywhere historically in the 1800s, the even before then the 1700s the 1600s came from all parts up north coming down we have cajuns we have native americans we have black we have hispanics we've got it it is a daisy chain of different people and people here love mike johnson and probably because he's pretty transparent about everything so this thing came up about what are we going to do about our debt our debt the 17th two days from now at midnight is when we are set to run out of money as a government we need to borrow some more money but the government can't borrow without having a new resolution passed that gives them the power to do it and it has been controversial i'm not going to go into all of the history there kevin mccarthy house speaker For the last year, he got ousted because he didn't get the budget put together last year. And we had to give in, we being conservatives, had to give in to those on the left and give them all the spending money they needed and wanted to get them to agree so we wouldn't default on the debt and the government wouldn't shut down. Mike Johnson gets the job and three weeks later, he's facing the deadline to get the whole job done. So to his credit, they got a bunch of the 12 uh, parts of our budget. They got that all passed in the last couple of weeks, but there's still a couple of leftovers. So he came up with, and we've shared this with you, kind of a chopped up different continuing resolution that would stop the government from shutting down, funding certain parts of the government through the end of the year, and then making permanent changes coming up in the fiscal year that we're in right now, but get that done in January and February. And he got it passed. Of course, there are a bunch of Republicans that voted no yesterday. Why would they vote no? It's about government spending. Everybody with a right mind that understands how economies work at every level. If you've got to pay bills, you need the money to pay the bills. And if you spend more than you have to spend, when I say have to spend, I'm saying have in the bank to spend. That's deficit spending. That's not a good thing. That's credit card economy. Our government, got in the habit years ago of spending far more money than we got in taxes coming in. $33 trillion worth of money that we owe because we spent more than we had and had to go borrow it. There's a huge group of conservatives in Congress that demand that we stop doing that. And I'm one of them. I'm one of them. For years, I have believed and supported anybody and everybody that demanded a balanced budget by our government, which means the money you get to spend on everything, it's based totally on how much money comes in and tax revenue. And if you run out, you don't get anything more. You have to stop the spending. I mean, that's the way you do it at home. It's the way I've done it at home for years and years, but not those in government for that reason the freedom caucus in the house was formed and it's comprised of people it's a volunteer group of people that are very conservative and they're thinking like i just told you my thoughts are we need to stop approving money to be spent that we don't have and so when this continuing resolution came up to be a Passed or passed on in the House yesterday, a bunch of Republicans voted no. And the reason they did was for the reason I just told you Mike Johnson, everybody thought, all of the conservatives, every one of them, every Republican in the House voted for him to become the Speaker. And they know the facts. They know how much time it takes to get approval from those over in the Senate where. The Republicans aren't in the majority. And then, of course, you got to if you get something passed together, the House and the Senate, and you send it over to the White House, the president's got to sign it into law or it's not going to happen. So, what happened yesterday is a bunch of Democrats voted for the bill because a bunch of Republicans voted against the continuing resolution. And so I thought I'd just read the list of the names of those that voted no. Listen to these and see if any of the names you recognize. Mark Alford from Missouri, Jim Banks from Indiana, Aaron Bean, Florida, Andy Biggs. He is a big guy. He's in Arizona, and he is a very conservative American member of the House. Dan Bishop from North Carolina, Lauren Boebert, Colorado, Mike Bost, Illinois Josh Brickene, Oklahoma Ken Buck, Colorado Tim Burchett, Tennessee Eric Burleson, Missouri Kat Kamek, Florida Jerry Carl, Alabama John Carter, Texas Ben Klein, Virginia Michael Cloud, Texas Andrew Clyde, Georgia Mike Collins from Georgia Eli Crane, Arizona Warren Davidson, Ohio Scott DeJarla Tennessee, Byron Donalds, Florida, Jeff Duncan, South Carolina, Ron Estes, Kansas, Pat Fallon, Texas, Brad Finstat, Minnesota, Michelle Fishback, Minnesota, Scott Franklin, Florida, Russell Frye, South Carolina, Russ Fulcher, Idaho, Matt Gates, Florida, Mike Gallagher, Wisconsin, Tony Gonzalez, Texas, Bob Good, Virginia, Lance Gooden, Texas. Paul Gosar, Arizona. Garrett Graves, Louisiana. Mark Green, Tennessee. Marjorie Taylor Green, Georgia. Morgan Griffith, Virginia. Michael Guest, Mississippi. Harriet Hagerman, Wyoming. Diana Harshberger, Tennessee. Kevin Hearn, Oklahoma. Clay Higgins, Louisiana. Aaron Hochin, Indiana. Wesley Hunt, Texas. Jim Jordan, Ohio. John Joyce, Pennsylvania, Trent Kelly, Mississippi, Darren LaHood, Illinois, Debbie Lesko, Arizona, Anna Paulina Luna, Florida, Morgan Luttrell, Texas, Nancy May, South Carolina, Tracy Mann, Kansas, Thomas Massey, Kentucky, Brian Mast, Florida, Tom McClintock, California, Rich McCormick, Georgia, Mary Miller, Illinois, Max Miller, Ohio, Corey Mills, Florida, Alex Mooney, West Virginia, Barry Moore, Alabama, Nathaniel Moran, Texas, Greg Murphy, North Carolina, Ralph Norman, South Carolina, Jay Obernolte, California, Andy Ogles, Tennessee, Gary Palmer, Alabama, Scott Perry, Pennsylvania. Bill Posey, Florida, Mike Rogers, Alabama, John Rose, Tennessee, Matt Rosendell, Montana, Chip Roy, Texas, George Santos, New York, David Schweikert, Arizona, Keith Self, Texas, Victoria Sparts, Indiana, Greg Stubbe, Florida, Tom Tiffany, Wisconsin, William Timmons, South Carolina, Jeff Van Drew, New Jersey, Beth Van Dyne. Texas, Michael Waltz, Florida, Randy Weber, Texas, Daniel Webster, Florida, Roger Williams, Texas, Rob Whitman, Virginia, Rudy Yakum, Indiana, and Ryan Zinke, Montana. 93 Republicans voted against this continuing resolution. Now, let me give you my two cents. And I'm not I'm not a Mike Johnson sycophant. I'm a friend. I'm a supporter. I'm a contributor. I think he's the man for the job. But what every American needs to understand, no one person can make it happen every time in Congress. The way Congress was established and what it is today and has been all these years, is a group of people that come together for one specific thing to find consensus of the majority of those on every issue of every kind that comes before the nation that must be resolved. Somehow resolved. Does it mean everybody has to agree on everything? That's an impossibility. But you hear these Democrats out there screaming and hollering about any Republican that runs for any office at the national level. And here's what they say. They're going to destroy our democracy. I hear it every day. That's kind of the default complaint any Democrat has about thinking forward that Donald Trump could possibly go back and live in the White House as president for four more years. He'll destroy democracy when the truth of the matter is if you look at all of those that say those allegations against conservatives, they're the ones that in what they're doing is destroying democracy. Democracy in its purest form is supposed to be everybody has one vote on everything and not just members of Congress, every registered voter. That means if we had a pure democracy, you and I would have had to vote yesterday on whether or not we wanted to enforce or agree to this continuing resolution, not just the members of the House of Representatives. That's an impossibility. Our forefathers knew it would never work that way. So they created a representative republic of which we the people vote for those we want to go to D.C. and speak our minds on our behalf in all of the issues that they take on to either implement or to keep from being implemented. In that context, often people are going to disagree and people are going to have differing ideas. And we're seeing of late and when I say of late, I'm saying the last 20 years, we see that it comes to war far more than it comes to disagreements. That, my friends, is the pending destruction of the democracy in this nation. We need to, instead of when we come together, to get something considered to be passed in both houses, House and Senate. Every member, all 535 of them, need to come to any of these conversations with this one thing in mind. Let's find consensus. Let's put together a plan where probably neither one of us are going to get everything we want, but everybody's going to get something they want, And it's all at the end going to work out okay. We'll get it implemented, and later on, if we need to, we can come back and tweak it and make it better or do away with it if it doesn't work out. But it seems of late to me that more and more of these lawmakers, they've adopted this, this position. They cross their arms, and they look at you and say, it's my way or the highway. I am not going to compromise. In fairness to those 93 people's names that I just read to you, I agree fundamentally with every one of them and the reason they said no. We must stop massive government overspending. And it's got to start somewhere. The problem in this today, this thing that they passed yesterday That's not the hill on which to die because we have to have government. We, to have government, have to be able to pay our obligations and to continue to take care of government obligations specifically to the American people. I mean, I paid from age 14 years on. I paid every paycheck into my Social Security retirement fund i paid every paycheck into my medicare when i was going to need medicare after age 65 and i didn't i didn't get out of the system the private system at 65 i waited till i hit 68 i think on the advice of my accountant and my my attorney but my point is We've got to find a way to back out of the being in the middle of all of this angst and instead of ending up with everybody taking sides, standing in a room and screaming at each other across and never getting it done, whatever it has to be. And that's what Mike did. That's what Kevin McCarthy should have done. He would still be the Speaker of the House. But he wouldn't do that. He would throw himself in on one side or another in every issue instead of bringing people together. And I like Kevin McCarthy. But I don't think he was a leader that he needs to be. Did Mike make a mistake? The only option was if he didn't find some kind of consensus sufficient to, on a temporary basis, get government spending back in play for a couple of months while they finish the final and the total funding for this year and get everything agreed to, which I think they'll do. If he hadn't done that, on the 17th at midnight, government closes. Government employees don't get paid. Imagine what that would do to the American people. So where do we go from here on that? Well, the House Freedom Caucus, they came out against Mike, his two-part plan. It's called the Further Continuing Appropriations and Other Extensions Act of 2024. It was designed to avert this November 17th government shutdown by issuing both a January 9th and a February 2nd funding deadline just a few months, when certain spending legislation is going to expire. This bill is opposing the clean continuing resolution. If you've heard that difference, you've heard it all the time. That's what Democrats want. A clean continuing resolution is, hey, we'll kick the can down the road for 90 days, six months, or whatever, but we're going to leave all the spending in. And we're going to spend it however we want to spend it. Mike wouldn't agree to that. The House Freedom Caucus opposes this proposed clean continuing resolution as it contains no spending reductions, no border security, not a single meaningful win for the American people. That's in a press release that was issued by the House Freedom Caucus. Republicans must stop negotiating against ourselves over fears of what the Senate may do with the promise of Roll over today and we'll fight tomorrow. Under this continuing resolution that Mike Johnson put together, the appropriations bills for agriculture, energy, water, military construction, veteran affairs, transportation, housing and urban development are extended until January 19th, a deadline there, while the remaining eight pieces of funding And that legislation will be extended through February 2nd, another three weeks. The legislation does not include any funding provisions for Israel or Ukraine. And see, that was a big win for Mike Johnson because the Democrats have always wanted to throw everything into it. No accountability. In other words, give us a blank check. We'll take care of it all. Just trust us. This two-step continuing resolution is a necessary bill to place House Republicans in the best position to fight for conservative victories. That came from Mike Johnson in a statement that he put out on Saturday. The bill will stop the absurd holiday season omnibus trend, a tradition of massive loaded up spending bills introduced right before the Christmas recess. That's what they've done for 13 years. Every Christmas, they wait. Everybody in Congress wants to hustle, get their work done, and get home for the holidays. So they'll agree to anything. And they have gotten every year a blank check called a continuing resolution. So that's it in a nutshell. So what are people on the other aisle? What did they think about it? As we told you, it took a bunch of Democrats to support this yesterday to even get it done. Many House conservatives are fuming that Johnson, who is the, by the way, most ideologically conservative speaker in decades, he refused to take a hard line in his first attempt negotiating with Democrats, and instead he leaned on them for their help. I told you that. Now, I am giving you bits and pieces right now, and you're going to laugh at me when I tell you where this is coming from. It's coming from Politico. (laughs) I never thought I would be taking the context of one of the farthest left rags, Politico, (laughs) to tell you about something going on. Now, remember, they fired, the House fired Kevin McCarthy over this very thing. They did. So Politico framed it this way. They're not looking to oust Johnson over it like they did McCarthy. But some conservatives are privately entertaining other ways to retaliate. Now see, that represents that particular sentence. But some conservatives are privately entertaining other ways to retaliate. That epitomizes The thought process I told you, that's where they live right now. Unless they're willing to change addresses and move away from that, this is going to continue every year, every holiday season. So about the retaliation that Politico alleges they're considering, one tactic they're talking about is the same one they used against McCarthy after he struck a debt deal that they hated, holding the House floor hostage by tanking any procedural votes. In other words, if you don't agree with me, we're not even going to have voting on the floor. Ralph Norman, a Republican from South Carolina, said this, there's a sentiment that if we can't fight anything, then let's just hold up everything. And he's one of the several frustrated Freedom Caucus members who has huddled with the Speaker multiple times this week. There are few reasons that conservatives won't push a mutiny just 20 days into Johnson's speakership, an effort Rep. Andy Ogles of Tennessee characterized as untenable, but mainly Johnson doesn't have the same stubborn trust issues that plague Kevin McCarthy. Now, this is Politico saying this. I'm going to throw my opinion in the middle of this. Kevin McCarthy couldn't be trusted by a lot of his fellow Republicans. He would say one thing to the Freedom Caucus members, which he wasn't part of, honestly. Mike Johnson is. Kevin McCarthy is not. And a lot of people didn't like him because he would talk out of both sides of his face. He was ousted not for working with Democrats to get a spending bill passed, but because of his personal animus among eight Republican members who voted against him, particularly the leader of the rebellion, Matt Gates from Florida. So there's a bunch of bad blood out there. The extent of that between McCarthy and those eight defectors, it was on full display yesterday when one of the eight representative, Tim Burchett of Tennessee, accused McCarthy of intentionally elbowing him in the Capitol basement. Now, this is what this has turned into. A little spat on the playground by two boys. <laughs> Burchard even suggested the two men could settle things out in the parking lot. He said that. McCarthy said, nah, none of that. <laughs> Mike Johnson who the House Republicans unanimously supported for speaker last month. He served in Congress seven years. He doesn't have the same personal beefs, but conservatives aren't giving him a pass indefinitely with some signaling that Johnson's going to have a major problem down the line if he doesn't prove he's going to govern differently than does McCarthy. There is always that tension, but I don't see that happening anytime in the near future said Rep. Morgan Griffith from Virginia, Republican, a House Freedom Caucus member. I think most people are willing to give him some time, but we need to see something different. And according to Politico, there's one more problem. Johnson is confronting a GOP conference that's now even more bitterly divided than when his predecessor was in charge. Besides frustrations from the right flank— Mike Johnson is also facing groups of Biden district Republicans and centrists, who have increasingly made clear they'll push back if leadership tries to force any tough votes. After its very ugly 22-day speaker battle, the 221-member Congress has seemingly lost its ability to maneuver as a team. Instead, it's every man for himself. That's what I paraphrased just a few minutes ago it's my way of the highway that's it I'm not gonna I'm not gonna support anything you do if you don't listen to me and do it the way I want you to do it so if those divisions get worse like um, if conservatives make good on a threat to start blocking bills from even coming to the floor some centrist Republicans pointed out that would just increase an incentive to join forces with Democrats. Republicans openly shifting to that strategy would amount to a historic shift in House power dynamics. It just forces us to work with Democrats. These guys play checkers. They don't play chess. I like that line. That's uh, Rep. Don Bacon, Republican from Nebraska. He's right in the middle. He's one of the so-called moderates. Speaker Johnson, meanwhile, is trying to steady a seesaw of competing demands from every corner of his conference, the Republicans in the House, all while getting acquainted with a job that is six ladder rungs above where he previously served in Republican leadership. Honestly, I think it's it's almost impossible. It's a role that many say is impossible, but they asked him to and he jumped in. Even in normal circumstances, it's tough. As McCarthy, Paul Ryan before him, John Boehner before him, all demonstrated. They were speakers before Johnson. And Johnson likened it to drinking from Niagara Falls for the last three weeks. One sign of success, Johnson staved off disaster on the floor on Tuesday in real time talking down a group of conservatives who wanted to block a massive health, labor, and education spending bill. Johnson's pitch, here's what he said. He had a plan to jam the Democrat Senate and cut spending in the full-year funding legislation Congress now has to pass in January and February. But House Freedom Caucus members in a meeting attended by Johnson and another ultra-conservative ally, Senator Mike Lee from Utah. He's a Republican, one of the best constitutional attorneys in the world. They got together, said that they had their own strategy to make the Senate swallow spending cuts now rather than later. Johnson clearly chose to go another route. We were going to fight. We had a well-laid plan out yesterday, had a senator there who had it worked out, whereas Bill Posey said the hot potato was with the Senate. Norman was talking about the Freedom Caucus meeting. If you're scared of getting wet, you might not swim. And the next morning, speaking to his full conference, Johnson privately made the case this was simply the card he was dealt. He presented this stopgap spending bill as his only real option given the House's slim margins as well as amount of time they lost in the three-week-long speakers race. Publicly, Johnson shared a similar message, pushing back on conservative assertions that he was surrendering. I can't turn an aircraft carrier around overnight. And this is one reason I like Mike so much. He was asked whether he fears the funding fight makes his speakership any less secure, Johnson brushed it off saying this, I'm not concerned about it at all. If it happens, it happens. And there's life on the other side of that. Makes a lot of sense to me. I think Mike Johnson's going to be around for a little while. What about you?
0: Real truth, real news, TNN, the Truth News Network a wild-caught filio fish, and a sizzly double cheeseburger. Well, they are two classics that never go out of style. Hold on. Wait. You're assembling a Surf Plus Turf McDonald's hack, which must make you a menu hacker. Yes, the Surf Plus Turf, available only on the McDonald's app. You get free medium fries and a drink.
6: Oh, someone opened the app. I need to order and build one immediately.
4: The advanced surgeons at the Center for Innovative GYN Care look beyond quick fixes like birth control to help their patients find the best treatment options for complex GYN conditions. My name is Sakina, and I had the CIGC groundbreaking minimally invasive hysterectomy. I got back to my life in a week with only two small incisions and minimal scarring. Discover the CIGC difference with offices in Midtown Manhattan and Montclair, New Jersey. Telemedicine appointments are also available. Book a consultation at InnovativeGYN.com or call 888-SURGERY.
5: New Dunkin' Refreshers. Vibrant fruit flavors like strawberry dragon fruit and peach passion fruit. B vitamins and energy from green tea. All under 200 calories. Order ahead via the Dunkin' app for a contactless way to order, pay, and pick up in the drive-thru. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.
6: See the bold new expression of sporty style. Hear the amazing quietness of a truly luxurious cabin. Feel the exceptional horsepower and amazing torque and experience greater acceleration than ever before. Behold, the most powerful sedan in its class. The new Toyota Camry. Real power, absolute performance. Discover the new Camry at toyota.com.my
1: This next thing I told you I wanted to talk with you about is this Joe Biden stuff, the spending, the spending. And I think you know where I'm headed with this. We've got two big things that are happening right now, this day, today. Two big things regarding money and regarding something that this president has done on his own. The first one. As you know, I'm sure everybody's heard, Joe Biden is meeting today with Chinese Communist Party General Secretary Xi Jinping and San Fran. And we're told they're going to seal a deal. What's in the deal? China is going to take care of the drug trafficking that's going on that's sending unknown amounts of fentanyl to the United States. Now, I hate this phrase when they use it in news. Sources familiar with the situation said. That means it's a rumor, technically. Or it's a political party or candidate, somebody that's in office already, floating a trial balloon to see how people respond. But about this next thing I'm going to tell you, it begins with sources familiar with the situation said that the People's Republic of China, the PRC, will crack down on Chinese companies manufacturing chemical precursors for fentanyl. That's the quid. What's the pro quo? In exchange, if we, the U.S., lift sanctions on the Ministry of Public Security's Institute of Forensic Science. Now, what is that? Well, it's what the... Commerce Department added to the entity list in 2020 for, quote, engaging in human rights violations and abuses. And it's pointed specifically at the Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region. I don't know if you know what that is. Uyghurs are Muslim Chinese. And that's a faux pas in China. And so they round these Uyghurs up and they basically keep them in prison camps. And they are in horrible condition. And what the Chinese do to these people, it's almost as bad as everything you're hearing about what Hamas was doing, except they do this. They harvest organs, they being the Chinese government, they will harvest organs from these Uyghurs for transplant purposes. And, of course, they're not asking these people. They're going and taking out a kidney, taking out a spleen, they don't care what it does to the health of the Uyghur or even if that person survives. And so that's a pretty brutal way to treat anybody, and we sanctioned China for that. Biden and Xi are slated to meet for the first time in a year today, this afternoon, regarding the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit in San Fran. We're hoping to see some progress on that issue This coming week, that's Jake Sullivan, our national security advisor, talking. That could then open the door to further cooperation on other issues where we aren't just managing things, but we're actually delivering tangible results. Do you think Joe Biden, Jake Sullivan, Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense, Alejandro Mayorkas, Chris Ray, do you believe any of those people have any concept of delivering tangible results about anything? Come on now. Now, I'm not diminishing that it is an important step to take because fentanyl is a synthetic opioid. It's 100 times stronger than morphine, and it accounts for about 70% of the over 110,000 U.S. overdose deaths last year. That's a big deal. Should this deal materialize, it'll be at least the third time that China has promised to get tough on fentanyl, and they haven't. In 2016, they agreed to increase counter-narcotics operations. President Xi again agreed to launch a crackdown in 2018. Yet, China's culpability in the fentanyl trade has endured despite Xi's Assurances. Now, here's how this works. If you don't know the details, real quickly, I'll summarize it. China and Mexico are the primary source countries for fentanyl and fentanyl related substances that's trafficked directly into the United States. Now, that's coming from our own DEA. They're telling us that. China remains the primary source of fentanyl and fentanyl related substances trafficked through international mail and express consignment operations, as well as the main source for all fentanyl-related substances trafficked into the U.S. So while China ultimately scheduled fentanyl and related substances back in 2019, the Chinese embassy in the U.S. has since downplayed China's role in manufacturing fentanyl. May of 2019... Chinese government took the lead globally in scheduling fentanyl substances as a class, though there was no large-scale abuse or prominent hazards of them in the country. In December of 21, State Department hours announced rewards of up to $5 bucks for information related to Jingguahu and Jing Fujing for their alleged roles in operating a worldwide online chemical distribution business that uses numerous front companies to manufacture and to distribute hundreds of illicit controlled substances. That includes fentanyl. And let's fast forward, June, October, both of those months, that the DOJ unsealed indictments against a bunch of Chinese chemical companies for their crimes related to manufacturing and distributed fentanyl. So that's what they're going to discuss. So Biden, quid pro quo. That's where Biden got the nickname years ago. I'll do this if you do this, or I won't do this if you don't do that, or if you give me this, I'll do this. That's number one in the meeting with Xi. But there's a second one. It has nothing to do with China. Just happens at the same time. We found out overnight the Biden administration is extending a sanctions waiver that is going to allow Iran continued access to $10 billion in previously frozen assets. It's a four-month extension. Now think about that. Four-month extension. Where the heck did they get that number? Four months. If we've got it out there and we've got their assets frozen, Iran, of all people, do you expect they're going to do the right thing? And you are going to do an extension for four months? You're going to trust they're going to do what they said they were going to do. Have they ever? No. No. They tell us this four month extension will allow Iran continued access to the previously frozen ten billion in electricity revenues for humanitarian aid. There it goes again. Oh yeah, we we we're into doing the humanitarian aid and you know we we undid that other sanction to give them the use of their own money that we blocked with a sanction but they can only use it for humanitarian aid. And we, Jake Sullivan, had the nuts to say this is factual. We have total control on whether that money is actually released or not. Do you believe that? You know where that money is sitting? (laughs) It's not in the U.S. banking system. It's not in Britain's banking system, or France, or Germany, or anybody else that really would consider listening to us. It's in Qatar. Muslims, they hate our guts. (laughs) And so Jake is going to dial up the bank over there and say, hey, I got a notice an email. You were about to unfreeze a certain part of that billions of dollars that we sanctioned, and it's supposed to be for humanitarian aid, just like this one they say is going to be only for humanitarian aid. So you can't do it. You can't release it. Whoever answers the phone's going to laugh his butt off and hang up. So critics of the Biden administration have said giving Iran access to frozen funds will free up money and Tehran's money reserves allow them to carry on sponsoring terrorism. We all know that's what's going to happen. They're not going to stop anything. The sanctions waiver is going to authorize Iraq to continually buying electricity services from Iran, but give Iran access to the billions in payments currently stored in Iraqi banks. So the other set, that money was being held in South Korea. But as part of the deal, South Korea transferred it to Qatar, and they're going to manage it for us. The Biden administration, they promised that Iran has only spent a small amount of the existing $10 billion and it can only be used for humanitarian relief. Now, how do we know that? How do we know that? Well, they told us that. We called the bank and they gave us the amount that's still in the account over the phone. So we've got facts to prove it. How much would you have to tip a banker? (laughs) Hey, now, when they call you and want you to give them proof that this was used for this or that, we're going to give you, oh, I don't know, $25,000 to tell them a lie. So where am I going with this? I, I, I told you up front, I've got a thought process about what is going on. I think Iran without question. I think China without question. I think Ukraine without any question. I believe Joe Biden, the Biden family syndicate, has cut deals, has been operating within these deals with the leaders in these nations for years. If you do this, we'll give you this. If you don't do this, we won't give you that. But we want to work together with you. And if we continue to work together, and it's good for both sides, we'll continue to give you money. We'll continue to help you hide it. And therefore, you'll always have from now on, you'll have everything that you could possibly ever want. And we're doing that because we're good people and we trust you. That's Iran and China talking to Joe Biden and his minions. And then when these things come up, like Iran, they want a nuke so bad they go to sleep and dream about it every night. They have a nuclear program. It's doing way better than it was when Barack Obama and Joe Biden were in office. You know Why? They gave Iran billions of dollars, and it didn't even go through Congress. They, in the middle of the night, flew pallets of cash over to Iran. And if somebody didn't squeal, the American people would have never known it. And that's just one example. Every one of these, every single one of them, every dime that's gone to Ukraine, it was done unethically. Now, that's the best way. The worst way, it's done illegally. I don't know which it is, but it's one of the two. You said Ukraine, Dan. How do you know that? For some of the regulars here, you know who Dunstan Teo is. A friend of mine, uh, he's a guy from Singapore, very wealthy guy, Christian young man, very successful on many fronts. And he is an expert on cryptocurrency. He called me out of nowhere. Now, he's been on the show four or five times, maybe even more than that. I can't remember. Um, And he works at high levels with a bunch of people at high levels in government. He has contracts with governments from Muslim nations, Chinese, uh, Singapore, Southeast Asia, everywhere, and of course the United States too, and in Africa. And so he called me, which he very seldom does, but he said when this FTX thing was going down, where this FTX exchange crashed and people lost billions of dollars, Sam Bankman Freed was at the middle of that. He's been tried now and is waiting for another trial. He's going to spend a lot of time in jail to called me and he said, hey, I've got this thing, some facts about FTX and Sam Bankman Freed. I want you to know what is happening in regards to Ukraine. I can do it and just talk to you about it. If you want me to come on the show, I'll, I'll come on your show and talk to the people. And this happened months ago. In fact, it was December last year. And I told him, no, of course, come on the show and tell me about it. Tell our people about it. So I took a snippet out of it. I want you to hear. Now, this is about Joe Biden and what's been going on in Ukraine without Congress really weighing in on any of the details. We've sent them billions of dollars of cash and billions of dollars of military equipment. No oversight, no auditing. We have no idea if that money really went where they said it was going to go. And was it being, and is it being used the way that we funded it? They're working with FTX. How so?
7: So so this is where the history of the creation of FTX
1: would be interesting. What he's talking about is he told me he factually knows because he saw it happen The first big batch of U.S. dollars that went to Ukraine did not go through the banking system. It went as cryptocurrency because the excuse was the banking system in Ukraine invaded by Russia. It's not working, but we've got to get this money to these poor people. And so crypto, if you know anything about it, it transfers electronically It goes point to point. There's no wire transferring or anything. The only people that are in the know about who sends it, how much, and who it went to are the people that received it and the people that sent it. And the first batch of Ukrainians' USAID dollars went as cryptocurrency, and it didn't all go places that we were told it was going. Keep listening to Dunstan.
7: I will not draw any conclusions. I'll allow the audience to draw their
1: own conclusions. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I know what you're doing. <laughs> uh, I, I let me just let me just tell the people that are listening in. You and I had this this conversation, and I told you, look, we're we're in a situation. This is a streaming radio show. Uh, the FCC does not have any say. So there's. I I want you to be comfortable to name names, give us specifics, because people that are listening, many of are people who have bought crypto for the very first time and have been part of what and are part of what you and I are involved in and some other things. And I want them to understand this is not about cryptocurrency being evil. It's about people being evil. So why don't you just launch into telling us the history of this FTX thing and how we got to where we are?
7: Yeah, so I'm I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna add a bit more to what you just said. Then. Okay, it's not just about people being evil; it's about world leaders being evil right now, which is as bad as it can get. So, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with Sam the the founder and the creator of FTX and his family okay. and how somebody like him raised so much capital to create FTX and how many of the major funds on earth, may, many of the major investment funds like the Tomasic Holding of Singapore and so on invested in him. It's not him being eloquent. <laughs> He's not eloquent. He's not just look at him on YouTube, listen to the podcast, and you know it's not about him being convincing or eloquent. But take a look. We now have Sam Bankman Fried. His mom works for the Clinton Foundation, including his brother. That's the first thing.
1: Oh my gosh.
7: (laughs) The CEO of FTX is the daughter of an MIT professor who is the best friend of the head of the SEC.
1: That doesn't sound very good to me.
7: It doesn't. And it gets worse. Okay. Funds from the, from the FTX treasury were used to lobby the SEC to work against the crypto companies, which was the reason why when, when the head of Binance, which is CZ, heard about it, he was pissed. And he spread it out in public what was done where Sam bankman Fried actually lobbied the SEC against the industry that he was in.
1: Why would he do that?
7: Because he was never for crypto. He was always for fiat, and he was always working as an agent of the SEC, as an agent for the political powers.
1: This is uncanny. I mean, this may be the biggest financial fraud in world history.
7: It is. And interestingly, looking at the money flow, look at the funds that went from the exchange and to which administration did he fund during the campaign.
1: Well, you and I know the answer to that. was a Democrat administration.
7: Mm Mm-hmm. They funded the the Biden campaign. He was the third or second largest funder in the campaign.
1: Okay. i my wheels my this. my wheels are turning <laughs> as you're telling me this. I'm thinking about things that happened. This this is this is amazing, Dunstan. It explains a lot. It it, it gives me kind of assurance that some of the things I thought just didn't seem right. I'm beginning to understand why they don't seem right. They weren't right. Keep, please, please keep going on.
7: And then, you know, we, we know people like, like George Soros, the World Economic Forum and so on. And you know how evil they are. Yes. Now what, what is going on is they have connections together. In, In fact, the FTX was actually one of the sponsors of the World Economic Forum. One of the main sponsors. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Now the and this is just the tip of the iceberg. A couple of other a couple of other nasty stuff would be this. The current administration, I don't want to say which administration, but everybody knows what I'm talking about. The current administration used FTX to send funds to the Ukrainian war situation. I call it a war campaign.
1: No, wait a minute. None. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The administration used FTX, in exchange that is not a good... A when, crypto exchange. Yeah, crypto exchange. Not
7: uh, not even you know any of the other financial institutes like you know the traditional ones and so on. So where, most of the funds were sent to FTX
1: where, to Ukraine. Where did this this money that was used by the administration to send to put it in crypto to send it to Ukraine? Where did that come from? Is that taxpayer money?
7: Well, I wouldn't directly say that it's taxpayer money. I'm quite sure that we can all draw our parallels. And we can all ask the correct questions. Until the truth comes to light. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm laughing, but I'm, I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because we're discovering something that makes too much sense. And the fact that it does is scary.
7: And it's not in millions of dollars. It's in billions of dollars.
1: So let me let, me, fact, l- let me ask you. In fact, he was also working.
7: Yeah, in fact, he was also working with the people who were trying to replace crypto with central bank digital currencies.
1: Which is one thing the United States government is in the process of doing.
7: Yep. So we don't need to ask too much questions regarding all these when part by part these are coming out to light.
1: Oh my gosh. So let me let me just kind of back up and and um the United States government has announced numerous times over the last 6 months the Biden administration is sending billions of dollars to Ukraine, more billions of dollars to Ukraine, more billions to Ukraine. Most of it is not going like in direct funds, but they're sending military equipment, uh, planes, uh, weapons, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Are you saying that this money, this that uh, gets it, it's turned to crypto? But it starts somewhere in fiat dollars. That's all the U.S. All right. government has. Those fiat dollars, instead of going directly to Ukraine, were being. And I'm trying to be car- I, I, it You know, again, I'm not afraid of anybody <laughs> listening in. You know exactly the question I'm going to ask. Is it?
7: It goes to FTX, God.
1: God. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Ugh. So we've got George Soros. He's involved in it. World Economic Force. Yes. Um, we have, I'll just say this. We've got the Obama-Biden people involved in it. The Clintons. And we have the Clintons involved in it.
7: Yep. And interestingly, Sam's mom... And his brother just stepped down from working for the Clintons.
1: <laughs> I wonder <laughs> why. I
7: wonder why. I don't know, man. But I'm expecting. Um, I'm expecting some people to be put in jail in a high security prison, and yet they will be able to kill themselves in the high security prison.
1: I wanted you to hear that because it plays into the theory that has now got lots of credibility behind it, that what is happening with Joe Biden parsing out money, very strange circumstances that don't make much sense. And also, every time it circumvents what they're doing, how they're doing it, circumvents the requirement or any requirement for the administration to go to the legislative branch to get money to do these things. How much of that money went to the Clinton Foundation? How much of it went to the Biden campaign? How much of it went to the personal crypto account of somebody like President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine? We will never know. So why all of a sudden is Iran doing these wonderful philanthropic things that they need billions of dollars that have been grabbed because of what the evil Iran was doing in other areas, we sanction them to stop them using that money. And all of a sudden, in a couple of days, Xi Jinping is getting a buttload full of cash that has been sanctioned. And he happens to be meeting today in San Francisco with our president. And Iran is getting some more release sanctions released. It's all happening at the same time. And you just heard the Biden administration in large part used cryptocurrency to send all of the money that we have sent to Ukraine. That's the way it's being sent. Follow the money, folks. You want answers? Follow the money. It's incredible how evil all of this stuff is. I find it difficult to I, I, I just find it difficult to believe that this is happening in the United States of America, and nobody's getting caught.
5: Fox Wednesday, could this mysterious princess unlock riches?
2: She's a bad singer. All hail Princess Adrian!
5: All new I Can See Your Voice. Then, TV's number one new show's top ten face double elimination. No one is safe. This can't be good. All new I Can See Your Voice and all new Next Level Chef, Wednesday on Fox.
6: No doubt you've heard about this subliminal seduction nonsense. You know... Commercials that are supposed to have hidden messages in them. Well, Baron's Barron. Saloon denies any use of this so-called mind control. Come to After all, Baron's is seductive enough as it is. Get in your car and come right now. What with a 16-page dinner menu crammed with delectable items, You're to 30 dinner items under $5, out, and a happy hour that lasts from 4 till 8 p.m., Obviously, Barron's has that rare combination of good food. Take out your wallet. Good fun. Give us your money. And good prices. Give us your cash. So let's put this subliminal seduction nonsense to rest. Nobody can do your thinking for you. Come to Barron's. You either want to come to Barron's. You do, you do. Or you don't. But boy, oh boy, you do, you do. Barron's, Airport and South Academy. <laughs>
0: When the lie becomes the norm, speaking the truth becomes a revolutionary act. Dan Newman, TNN, The Truth News Network.
1: Got a text during the break. Is that all proven stuff, what you heard Dunstan say about Sam Bankman, Freed, and FTX? It's still alleged, at least publicly, I guarantee you there are those behind the scenes in positions of authority that already know exactly what happened. Because of the trial and all of the evidence, the discovery and everything that came out of that trial just completed, the first trial just completed, that found Sam Bankman Freed guilty on numerous accounts, he'll probably never get out of jail. There's another trial that's pending. But what does that mean about the others that are, implicated in that. that's what we need to concentrate on. there is too much in the rear view mirror that is visible and much of it has been visible for a long time but nobody wanted to think about it and the reason it never got to the front and center of our understanding was because we weren't told about it. we weren't told about it and you know how we found out about it a guy that lives, A multimillionaire, billionaire that lives in Singapore came on this show to tell us about it. Dunstan has a place that he and his family come part-time in Orlando, but he lives in Singapore. Now, how does that impact him as a human being? He does business around the world. I spent, you remember when I did my show from Africa several months ago? I was there for 10 days with Dunstan. We were working together on a big project for many nations in Africa at the highest level. In fact, we executed, we have a contract with Elon Musk and Starlink, his low altitude um, transmission satellite network that is going to be used for humanitarian projects in Africa. We know these things happen. We know evil's everywhere. And it permeates a lot of people because the love of money is the root of all evil. Think about that stuff. Have a great day. See you tomorrow.
4: Talking to myself and feeling old Sometimes I'd like to quit Nothing ever seems to fit Hanging around Nothing to do but frown Rainy days and Mondays always get me down What I've got they used to call the blues Nothing is really wrong Feeling like I don't belong Walking Some kind of lonely cloud Rainy days and Mondays Always get me down Funny but it seems I always wind up here with you Nice to know somebody loves me Funny But it seems that it's the only thing to do. Run and find the one who loves me. me. What I feel has come and gone before. No need to talk it out. We know what it's all about. Hey. Nothing to do but frown Rainy days and Mondays Always get me down Funny but it seems That it's the only thing to do And find the one who loves me